I'm glad you're here. For those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John, and I'm the pastor here, and really glad that you've joined us today. And uh, we are starting a brand new series today, so it's a great week to join us. And it is the season of relationships. That's the way I look at this. We've got a stretch here that comes from Mother's Day to Father's Day. It's about six weeks, and so what better thing to talk about than the L word, it's not a big surprise. It's the word love. Okay, so we're going to talk about love over the next six weeks. And we've got, because we've got Mother's Day, we've got Father's Day, we've got graduations in there, we've got Memorial Day in there, we've got a bunch of things happening over the next few weeks. And so we're going to talk about this idea of love, but not just the situations, okay? Sometimes we do relationship series and we'll talk about marriage or being single or parenting or whatever. We're not going to do that in this series. Uh, what we're going to talk about is the character that sits at the foundation of healthy love. And if we understand the character that's supposed to be there, we can take that character and we can apply it to a lot of different relationships and situations. So you can take what we talk about and apply it if you're single or if you're a teenager or if you're, uh, well, probably if you're a teenager, you're single. But maybe like boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance or your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents or your friends or your siblings or your boss or your, you know, the person in the cubicle next to you or whatever. So you can take these principles and apply them across the board and so I want to encourage you to do that. But today is Mother's Day. And so, you know, I got to talk about moms a little bit. And so I thought I would start off by telling you a little bit about my mother. And I know this, Mother's Day is an interesting time because for some of you, you have a mom and she's amazing. Some of you had a mom who was amazing, but she's passed away. Some of you had a mom, but she wasn't amazing. Some of you didn't have a mother. And I know that, that like all over the board, there's lots of different reactions to Mother's Day in every situation. And so I think what the goal of Mother's Day is, though, I know that there's lots of emotions and things that can go along with that, but the goal of Mother's Day is to celebrate those moms who, who take their responsibility seriously, who want to be faithful to their families and serve their families so, so well. And so maybe that was your mom or maybe it wasn't, but I think this is, today is a day to celebrate those kinds of moms and the kind of love that they have for their families. And maybe if you look at your situation and you say, Yo, my mom, not so much somebody that is going to be celebrated on Mother's Day. It's an opportunity to look and to learn and to make decisions about who you want to be in the, in, the, in the wake of that. And so I want to encourage you to consider that today. But I do want to tell you a little bit about my mom, Donna, okay? Because Donna is amazing, and I'm so thankful for my mother. She's still with us, and I'm very thankful for that, of course, as well. I talked to her the other day, and she's an incredible, loving, kind, sweet, faithful woman. Could not have asked for a better mom to have, and so I know I was... Uh, blessed and fortunate to have her as a mother. And um, she's just so sweet, and she did such a good job with us. And I'm sure she did something wrong. I just don't remember it, quite frankly. All my memories of my mother are, are positive. She really is incredible. Great spiritual leader in our family as well. Um, I, I was on the phone last week with my dad. My dad's a pastor, and so we were talking about some, like, theological stuff, which she doesn't, like, get into those conversations too much. And, uh, but she was over, overhearing it and just kind of listening in and processing, which is what she does. And then on Thursday, she gave me a call out of the blue, and she said, hey, I was just thinking about you because I'm getting ready for my Bible study. She's been doing this Bible study with the same women for like 20-some years. She said, I'm getting ready for my Bible study this week, and um, I was reading through a scripture, and I was thinking about the conversation you were having with your dad, and here's the thought that I had. And she laid something on me that I was like, Mom, like, that's smarter than anything me or dad even said. Like, where, where was that on Tuesday when we were having that conversation? Just the wisdom that she has. And 
And she's not, she's not just sweet and, like, kind and always in the background either. My mom's tough. Like, she'll get in the mix if she needs to. I remember this is one of my favorite stories about my mom. It has nothing to do with the message today. I just want you to know how tough she is. And uh, my mom is, a, is an athlete. That didn't get passed down to B. My mom was, was an athlete in high school. She was a state champion hurdler. So she was fast. So she could jump and all that. And, um, and, uh, but we never really saw her do much of that, even though I kind of knew she had this competitive streak. But I remember one day in particular, we were in the backyard, and we were playing wiffle ball. All right, Dad was trying to train us and teach us how to run the bases and everything and coach us up, you know, and uh, little superstars. And uh, it didn't work anyway. But uh, he was trying to train us. We were playing wiffle ball. And uh, so we had our whole setup in the backyard. We had a base over here for first base, and then the, the hose was home plate, and the slide was second base, and the tree was third base. You know the deal. And so we're playing wiffle ball, and we're trying to hit the ball over the play set because that's a home run. That's what you want to do. All right? And so my mom never played with us, but she was outside just watching and, you know, kind of cheering along. And dad stepped up to hit, and he hit a ball and came up just short of the play set, all right? And my mom looked at him and said, not quite good enough, Doug. I was like, mom, like, you can't, what are you doing? Like, you know, you know, we don't talk to dad like that, you know? Like, what is she doing? She's, he's, like, he's like, really? You think you can do better? And I was like, what did we get in the middle of? Like, we're not supposed to see this. This, you know, this, protect us, you know. So she was like, and he, he was like, you think you can do better? She's like, I know I can do better. We're like, ooh, okay, so what's mom going to do? We're going to find out what mom's got. And so she steps up to the plate, and I don't know what's going to happen because I've never seen her do anything like this, you know. Although I'd heard all the stories of her as an athlete and seen pictures and stuff, right. And, and so she steps up to the plate, and her stance was impeccable. Okay, I, for someone who doesn't practice or play baseball, she was on it. And so she steps up, and I'm at second base at that point. My dad steps over to pitch, and he pitches the ball, and all I can hear is this crack, like solid contact. And I'm, you, know, you hear the contact, and I'm looking for where the ball's going to go because i got to know what to do. I never see the ball because she line-drived it right back at his face. Okay. <laughs> And she hit him with a wiffle ball square between the eyes. All I saw from second base behind him was sunglass pieces. Like he was wearing these aviator sunglasses. It was the 80s. And they just like exploded off of his face. Lenses shattered and flew all. And he turns around. He's bleeding on the face. And my mom just drops the bat and walks away. I was like, Donna. My goodness, where did this come from? But yeah, she is sweet and she is kind and loving and the most compassionate and patient person you'll ever meet in your entire life. But she's got a tough streak too. And she's incredible. And I just look at her and think about the example of love that she set for our family. It really is incredible. And I know that there are moms all over the place that are like that. And not all are, but there are so many that are. And it's such a great example to us. And I think about the way that she loved us and realize that the, the reason she loved us the way she did wasn't just because she was who she was, but she loved us the way that she was because of who she loved first. And who she loved first was her Savior, Jesus Christ. And she wanted her life to look like his life. And because she wanted her life to look like his life, her life look, looked like it did, and she, as a mother, looked like she did for us. Because the very things that she embodied and that I saw come out of her were the same things that I see in Jesus Christ, because that's the model that she was using. 
And the truth is that the model of Jesus Christ, the example that he set for us, is the definition of love. It is the map. It is what we look at and learn from. Because God is love, and Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And so the way he lived, the way that he loved, what he did, what he said, how he handled situations, that is the best way to love. And so if we're going to learn how to do the L word, if we're going to learn, then we're going to learn how to love from love himself. And that's what we're going to do in this series. And I think about some of the things that my mother embodied that she learned from him. And one of the biggest words, I was trying to kind of categorize it down to one thing. If I could get it down to one word, and that's tough, but trying to get it down to one word. And the word I landed on was the word grace. Grace. She embodied, embodies grace. And that's not surprising because when the Apostle John wants to introduce Jesus, his best friend, to us in his gospel, the gospel of John, this is the word that he uses to describe Jesus. Grace. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, it'll be on the screen for you. And of course, we have the uh, YouVersion Bible app event that you can find in that app um, with the scriptures. But in John chapter 1, John is introducing Jesus at the beginning of his gospel. And he says this, starting in four, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, or saw His glory, experienced His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. A, a unique glory, a glory that belongs to the one and only Son of God. What is that glory? What did they see? John says, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. It's not just grace. It's grace plus something else. Grace and truth. John, and don't get confused because this is the Apostle John writing the gospel. He's talking about John the Baptist, who is a different person, okay? John the Baptist, who came before Jesus. He says, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And the fullness, and of his fullness, we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He said Jesus was grace and truth. He said he was full of grace and truth. Full means to be complete, whole, total, not lacking anything. He said he was full of grace and truth. And it's not a percentage. It's not that Jesus was 50% gracious and 50% the truth. It's that he was 100% of both at the same time. He was full of grace and full of truth at the same time, which is incredibly hard for us to do, by the way. We generally tend towards one side of that equation or the other. We generally tend towards being gracious or we generally tend towards standing up for the truth. But Jesus did both at the same time. Fullness of both. He was graceful and truth full. Grace is being merciful. Grace is loving kindness, sweetness, goodwill, caring overlooking wrongs. 
truth is, is unwavering truth. It's reality. It's fact. It's unchanging. It's true, 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 always true. And Jesus was able to embody both of those things at the same time. This is something very unique, very difficult for us to wrap our heads around. And really hard to understand how we actually live it out if we're going to be like him. What does it look like to be graceful and truthful at the same time? Well, there are tons and tons of examples in Scripture of Jesus doing both of these things at the same time. It's one of the things that just shocked people when he would do ministry and he would teach the way that he was able to embody both. But I think one of the best examples that we'll ever go, we're ever going to see is found in John chapter 8. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn now to John chapter 8, that's just going to be forward a few pages from where you were in John chapter 1. That's a few flips of your phone, I suppose, if you're on a mobile device looking there. And it requires nothing at all if you're reading it off the screen, okay? So hopefully I'll give you a minute to get there. John chapter 8, okay? John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple. That's Jesus went to the temple. He came again into the temple. And all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? They said this, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. Which, by the way, is like the most boss move in the history of the world when they're coming and trying to trick him. He doesn't even pay him any attention. He just stoops. That's a response. Just stoops down and writes in the... And everybody wants to know, what was he writing? You know, that's the thing. Like, everybody wants to talk about what he was writing. Was he writing down their sins? Was he writing down the law? What was he writing? I don't know. Stick figures drawing a picture of his mom. I don't know. But he just stoops down, and he starts drawing or writing in the ground, okay? Not paying him any attention. What are they trying to do, by the way? They are trying to get him to choose between grace and truth. They're trying to get him to pick a side. Now, we know which side they fall on. They fall on the side of truth in their mind and not on grace. But they're trying to get him to choose because they've watched him. They've watched him do ministry. They've seen him interact with people. They've seen how he loves people. They know that he eats with tax collectors and sinners, something that they would never do. He knows that he spends time with people they would never spend time with, that he's around people who are unclean and who are sick and all of this. They see all of this, and they know that he's telling people their sins are forgiven, and they see that he's gracious. But they want to try and trick him. They want to try and trap him and get him to pick one side or the other so that they have something to accuse him of. Because if he chooses a side of truth and he says, yes, go ahead and stone her, that's what the law says, they'll say, look, see, he's not as gracious as he says he is, as he pretends to be. But if he says, no, 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 we need to forgive this woman, don't stone her, then they're going to accuse him of contradicting the law. So they feel like they have him one way or the other. And this happens a bunch of different times in Scripture. And spoiler alert, it never works, ever. Jesus is smarter than them. He is the Son of God. He is the Word. They're not going to trap him in it. All right? So what did he do? He just bends down, starts drawing on the ground. So they're not going to let up, though, verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, 
he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. It never ceases to amaze me how much Jesus can accomplish in a sentence. How succinct and to the point, he didn't even have to really say anything to them. He spoke and they were convicted of their own sin, of their own failure. And I love that it says the, the older ones went out fast, or went out first, right? Because the more miles you got under your tires, the longer the rap sheet is, <laughs> right? Easier to see. And so they realized. Now, to be fair, there was one person there that was without sin. There was one person there who had the right to pick up a stone and start it off if he wanted to. But he didn't do it. They tried to trick him. They tried to get him to choose between grace and truth. And they didn't realize he doesn't have to choose. Because Jesus is both. He's both. And so what does he do? They're all gone. Uh, we're in the middle of verse 9. I think we left off. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. He wasn't even looking while they were walking away, by the way. He was just real into his, his writing. You know, He saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, one thing I think is important to point out here, Jesus did not back down from truth here. He never told her that she didn't sin. He never told her that what she had done was okay. He knew it wasn't okay. She knew it wasn't okay. He didn't back down from truth. And he didn't just send her off forgiven, like, and go just go do whatever you want. He said to her, go and sin no more. So he, he stood for truth, but in the light of truth, in her standing in the light of the truth that she had sinned, he then offered her grace. Neither do I condemn you. The most famous verse in all the Bible, we talk about this often, the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And then the next verse, so important as well, Jesus said, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. See, salvation doesn't come by condemnation. Salvation comes by truth and grace truth and grace. We first, we have to see the truth. We have to recognize the truth that we are sinful. We have to realize that we've failed God. We've let him down and we're, we're sinners. That, that has to happen. But, but on, immediately on the backside of that, knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sin, and he rose again in power and victory, on the backside of that truth comes grace. That we know that, yes, I have sinned. Yes, I have failed. But Jesus Christ offers to save me through what he did on the cross. And by the grace of God, if I put my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, I am saved. 
And then as I walk through my life, he continues to highlight and show me truth so that I know where I sin, where I make mistakes, where I fail. But every single time I fail and that light shines on that, there is grace for me. It's always truth and grace. That's what he offers to us. If we look to the example of Jesus and we want to know how to love well, then we need to make a commitment ourselves to being graceful and truthful. Not one at a time, a full measure of both always. And that can be hard because like I said earlier, we often tend to sit on one side or the other of this equation. We might tend towards being more gracious and less truthful, or we might tend towards being more truthful and less gracious. And both of those things will damage our relationships. It will cause problems for us. If we fall on the side of grace without truth, then we become a doormat. And the people in our life that are struggling with things and are running into their sin and having problems will just keep running into those things, and we end up enabling them in their sin. And we do it in the name of being gracious, but we're forgetting to be truthful with them, to challenge them and talk about what's right and what's not, what's good and what's not, what's godly and what's not. Or we can tend towards the other side of the equation, which is truthful and lack grace. And if we're truthful and we lack grace, what it turns us into, it turns us into judgmental people. It turns us into self-righteous people. It turns us into cold-hearted people, which is why we have to have both. Learning to balance that as we look at people in our life that we love. See, the motivation of love, or one of the key motivations of love, when we love someone, is that we want what's in their best interest. We want what's best for them, even to our own detriment, to our own sacrifice. We want what's best for them. And what's best for them is to walk as closely as they can with Jesus Christ. And if I'm going to help the people that I love, I'm going to help my kids, and I'm going to help my wife, and I'm going to help my parents, and I'm going to help my coworkers, and I'm going to help my friends and my church family and everybody else. If I'm going to help them walk more closely with, with Christ, then I have to be both truthful with them and gracious with them at the same time. Particularly when it looks like they may be struggling, maybe dealing with things. It's not easy. It takes work to develop this. You wonder how to do it. It's, it's hard. <laughs> and in every relationship, in every situation, the dynamics are different. And the situation, you know, what people are doing or their lifestyle is or whatever it is, hard to balance this all out and figure it out. But what we need to ask is we need to ask God to give us the character of Jesus through the power of the Spirit to show us exactly how we're supposed to do this, how we're supposed to handle these situations, how we're supposed to handle these relationships. And he'll show us. And it's a little cliche, I suppose, but I'll often ask the question, I'm going into a difficult conversation or I've got to talk to, have a hard you know, conversation with someone, challenge them or whatever. Just, you know, the old cliche is, what would Jesus do? There's bracelets, and I know people that wear those even, to, that wear them today. And, you know, but I'll walk into those conversations and be like, how would Jesus handle this? How would Jesus handle it? What would he say to this person? And then I want to say that. So what would he say? And I want to say that. Because I want the words that come out of my mouth and flowing out of the attitude of my heart, I want the words that come out of my mouth to build up and to draw people closer and closer to Christ. 
in faithfulness to God. And that's what it takes. Paul said this when he was the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in Ephesus about the importance of what they say, the importance of how they look at their relationship with each other and what it accomplishes. Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Let no corrupt word proceed from out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. So I would call that truth. What is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to its hearers. That it may impart grace to its hearers. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's a verse that gets talked a lot. Uh, about a lot. What does it mean? What are they so, grieving the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Well, you look at it in the context. It's allowing corrupt words to proceed from our mouth that don't do what is good for necessary edification. When we let those words and the things we say that don't impart grace, they're not bringing truth and grace. Right? That's what it means. He says this. He gives more more direction. He says, "Let all bitterness, wrath." Anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Be kind and tenderhearted. Good, necessary for edification, bringing grace. And when you relate to people this way, it not only improves the relationship and makes some hard things easier, but you are then demonstrating for them what is true and good. You're demonstrating for them the very character of Jesus Christ that God is building in you through the power of the Spirit. And that will have a lasting impact on people when they remember their interaction with that person who who didn't condemn them but also didn't allow them to stay where they were. Those are the kinds of relationships that have a real impact. I told you I think about my mother when I think about this. I'll never forget one time in particular. I was young, I don't know, 18, 19, 20, something like that. I was just started college at some point, and I was home for uh, winter break, and I was hanging out with my friends for New Year's. It was New Year's Eve. And we heard about this party that was happening on the other side of the lake, okay? Not High Rock. I grew up in New York on the Finger Lakes, the pinky of the Finger Lakes. In fact, uh, my wife hates it when I say that. <laughs> I grew up on the pinky of the Finger Lakes. Um, and uh, so anyway, uh, we, we lived on the west side or the, uh, the west side of the lake, and we heard about this party that was happening on the east side of the lake. Uh, there were some people we didn't really know. Their parents were out of town, and they were, they were doing a big thing. And um, it was just their house, the lake, and some woods, you know. And so, uh, so we decided we were going to go to So I piled a few of my friends into my, uh, my Pontiac Grand Am. It was pretty sweet. It was red, two-door. Yeah, colored seat covers. I had uh, some uh, spinner hubcaps at one point. It was a, it was a time. It was a time. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we piled in, and uh, we went over to this party, and we were there for a while. It was, it was after midnight. The ball had already dropped. Everybody's there doing what people do at parties. And, um, and we're, like, just, we're, it's kind of winding down. It was like 1230 or something. It's kind of winding down. I knew my parents weren't going to, you know, be bothering me or whatever. We didn't have cell phones then, by the way. So uh, this was pre-cell phone. And uh, so, they, you know, they weren't going to come find me or anything. And they had a bunch of friends from church over for a New Year's Eve thing at their house, right? 
And um, so anyway, we're at this party, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, sirens. Sirens and lights. And uh, so that meant, it's a little bit like when you poke an anthill with a stick, okay? It's just like all of a sudden people just went, like everywhere, came out of the woodwork. Everybody's running. People are running into the woods. I'm like, my goodness, where are you going? You know, are you going to go hide out in the woods for the year? I don't know where you're going. I think it's probably better if I just stay. Um, so I just, and I didn't like to run. So I just stayed. Um, and so the, the police came in and they rounded up everybody that they could, they could get and rounded us all up into a room. And then they started asking for phone numbers for our parents. So in my head, I'm trying to think, is there a friend I can give them the number for? I was like, 8675309. Like, what, what, what number? I didn't. So they got to me, and I just gave my parents' number, okay? I was like, I'm just going to have to deal with this. That's the best thing to do, by the way, when you mess up is just deal with it. And I was like, I'm just going to deal with this. So I had my car there, I told you. Um, and so they called my parents. The police called my parents. Um, it wasn't the only time they called my parents, but it was the first time they called my parents. And so they called my parents, and I could feel the disappointment through the phone, okay? I don't know exactly how to express that. And I was scared to death, right? I mean, scared to death. And it wasn't, it wasn't about, like, consequences for my actions or anything. Whatever. We'll, we'll deal with whatever there. I was scared to death because I didn't know what my parents were going to think of me. How they, if this was going to change the way that they looked at me. And because this is the first time I'd ever messed up like that in front of them, you know. And so they both came out. And I'm thinking they just had to leave all of their friends. Either the, I, don't, I don't think they left their friends at the house. I think they told everyone to go home. So they're dealing with embarrassment now, you know. And so they come out to pick me up. My dad gets in, the, in, the, in my car, and I get in the passenger seat. My mom is driving her car, so we head back towards the house. And I was in the car with my dad, and I don't remember thinking about my dad at all while I was in the car with him, although I'm sure he was disappointed, and I maybe should have been thinking about that. Um, all I could think about the whole time was my mom in the other car following us because she's so sweet and so kind and so innocent in so many ways. And I was just... What is she going to think? Is this totally going to change the relationship that I have with my mother? Did I just mess it all up? And so I was scared to death. And so when we got back home, we sat down in the living room. And my dad went into it first. Okay, <laughs> He's always at the front. He's the, he's the mouthpiece. So in a good way. Okay, so dad, dad went first. And... Um, I, I don't have a great memory, so I don't remember anything that they said. I just remember the tone. I remember what I felt. And um, so I don't remember what Dad said. He wasn't happy. Um, and then when he was done, it was Mom's turn, and that was what I was probably more scared of. And again, I don't remember what she said, so I don't want to lie and say she said something she didn't say, but I remember what I felt. She was not going to let me off the hook for what I did <laughs> or what it, what it, what it, how it impacted them. But all I remember is feeling loved, which was crazy because it's not what I expected. I just felt loved in a moment when I was afraid that that was going to be gone. And what it did was it caused me to trust her more because of the grace that she extended to me. 
It caused me to trust her more and to be able to talk to her about other things that happened that she might not have gotten a call about. And in that moment, I feel like the relationship that I had with my mother took a giant leap forward to create trust and fellowship and all that. And it was because of who she chose to be in that moment based on who she was choosing to follow in her life. And I want you to know that in your relationships, whatever they may be, you can be that for the other person if you're not already. And maybe you need to look at some relationships in your life and say, am I embodying both of these things right now? Or am I leaning towards one side or the other? Or neither of them, maybe. (laughs) I'm not being gracious or truthful. It's possible. How am I going to do this? I want you to think through your relationships and make a commitment today to say, I want to be like Jesus Christ, and this is one way that I want to be like him because he's given his life for me on the cross, and he has shown me truth and grace. I want to embody truth and grace. And then to look at your relationships and make decisions on how you're going to relate to those people in those ways. And I want to tell you right now that if you have a mom in your life, or a mother figure in your life, or an aunt who's like a mom, or a boss who's like a mom, or whatever, if you have someone in your life that you would say, yes, if I'm thinking about someone who embodies grace and truth at the same time based on their relationship with Jesus, if you have that in your life, thank them today for that. Recognize that in them. Encourage that in them today. So that they know that the hard work that they're doing and the commitment that they have made to you and to so many other people means something and has changed something. That could be one of the best things you could do today. All right. So let's thank God for the grace and the truth that he's given to us in his son. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the love you have for us. That you didn't cast us aside even in our sin, but that you showed it to us. You showed it to us so we could see it. And realize that it was separating us from you. But that in the light of that realization, in the light of that truth, you offered us grace. And you sent your son Jesus to give his life on the cross for us. After living the the life, the model life of what it looks like to walk in the spirit and to embody all of this. Full of grace, full of truth, he gave his life for us on the cross. We thank you for that sacrifice, Jesus. You went to the tomb, and on the third day, you rose again in power. And we thank you for that promise and that hope that we have. That by your grace, we put our faith in you, Jesus. You give us grace. You forgive us of our sins. And we know that we will live forever raised with you. And so we thank you for that today. God, I thank you today for all the the moms and mother figures and others in our life that have looked at the model of Jesus, full of grace, full of truth, and have chosen to live that themselves. To challenge us, to push us forward, to hold our feet to the fire, but to do that with love and kindness, goodwill, with grace. So we thank you, God. We thank you for them. I pray that as you lead us, whether it's to, to encourage or thank someone who, who does that themselves or to make changes in our own life and our own relationships, to be this for others, 
I pray, God, that you would lead us and encourage us in the Spirit. That you would guide us and you would direct us. As we're transformed into the image of your Son, we try to live and love the way he did. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.